0: Welcome to this episode of the VO2 Lounge podcast In this special episode I'll be going into the physiology of Tour de France, Vuelta a España, Giro d'Italia Generally the physiology of world tour and grand tour champions Uh, If you are new to this podcast then welcome and I hope you enjoy If you are a return member of the podcast then why not follow if you haven't already And leave a rating on your pod platform of choice now, the catalyst for today's episode uh, was during the Tour de France, uh, and it was the remarkable performance of Tadej Pogacar and Jonas Vingegaard, but more uh, was the fact that the values put forward um, by by the internet and people in general about Tadej Pogacar scaling the Puy de Dome with a sustained power output of 7 watts per kilo during a 14 minute and 50 second climb after already maintaining 6.2 watts per kilo for 20 minutes and 21 seconds, totaling 6.5 watts per kilo for over 35 minutes. It's an extraordinary achievement and regardless of anything people really think about how clean the sport is, regardless, it is staggering the performance. So even accounting for Pogaccia's reported weight of 66 kilos compared to the uh, hypothetical 60 kilograms used for a lot of the um, estimates, the numbers remain incredible. uh, Sustaining 420 watts for almost 15 minutes following a 372 watt effort for over 20 minutes. And all of this after hours of prior cycling and demands an immense amount of respect really. So, the physiology of champions. The basics would suggest that for endurance sports, three main factors are crucial. That is, maximal oxygen consumption, also known as VO2 max, lactate threshold, and efficiency, um, which is effectively, you know, the oxygen cost to generate a given running speed, Or cycling power output now these play key roles in endurance performance as a whole VO2 max and lactate threshold interact to determine the say the performance in a way of the athlete VO2 max which is the oxygen consumption that can be sustained for a given period of time and efficiency interacts with VO2 max to establish the speed or power that can be generated as this, like at this given oxygen consumption. So they all come in hand in hand. Not one of these can be suboptimal or sub elite uh, with these athletes at this end of the spectrum. So, starting with lactate threshold, uh, in untrained and low level trained athletes, um, there's typically no uh, sustained rise in blood lactate concentration until about 60% of their VO2 match, max. Sorry, uh, In trained subjects and elite athletes, this value increases to between 75 and 95% of their VO2 max, which is incredibly important because not only do you need the high ceiling, but with a With your lactate threshold appearing at closer to VO2 max, the greater uh, glycogen sparing capacity you essentially now possess and can remain in the terms of cycling with a group or running with the lead pack without uh, digging into those glycogen stores. So what happens as we reach lactate threshold is the maximum rate of fat Oxidation is inadequate to meet the ATP demands uh, of the muscles contracting at moderate to high intensities. This then causes intracellular signaling events to occur, which stimulate uh, glyconeogenesis and glycolysis. And ultimately, the rate of pyruvate delivery to the mitochondria progressively exceeds the ability of the mitochondria to oxidize uh, pyruvate. And this then leads to the accelerated generation. Um, of lactate in the blood Um, by the way pyruvate is also present when glucose is being used as a fuel at any point but this threshold effectively is sort of is signifying the point at which your physiology is no longer capable of keeping that reaction localized to the muscle um and the associated hydrogen ions is then a likely culprit of muscle fatigue and is often when you kind of hear lactic acid it's really these hydrogen ions that are causing um, this pH shift and possibly the fatigue of the muscle. So while the physiological detriments of uh, the lactate threshold are extremely complex they are determined mainly by the oxidative capacity of the skeletal muscle themselves. This capacity is highly plastic and can essentially increase more than twofold in the in trained skeletal muscles of humans or animals who engage in 20 to 120 minutes of training at a required uh, level of intensity. Effectively, the intervals. Um, This more than doubling of the oxidative capacity is one of the factors that is linked to the high lactate threshold values seen in elite endurance athletes. Um, These elite athletes have VO2 max values that are 50 to in some cases 100% above those seen in normal, active and sedentary young people and their lactate threshold occurs at any higher percentage of their VO2 max. This means that that elite athletes, um, the absolute oxygen consumption, power output or speed, that can be generated for long periods of time before reaching the lactate threshold is essentially doubled, allowing sustained running speeds of 20 kilometers an hour or in the case of cycling where we're focusing, uh, power outputs of over or around 400 watts going back to the initial uh, statement about telepagacea at the tour one other key factors that reduce muscle fatigability and lactic production during exercise at these high percentages of vo2 max when only a fraction of the total limb muscle mass is simultaneously recruited is the quantity of muscle mass that an athlete can recruit to share uh, in sustained power production Now elite cyclists have been shown to be capable of sharing power production through 20-25% to more muscle mass throughout a one hour bout of cycling therefore reducing the relative power production and stress on each individual fibre. Additionally this power sharing among fibres would also reduce the glycolytic stress and lactate production per fibre due to more total mitochondrial sharing for a given rate of aerobic metabolism and these factors should operate in a complementary way that reduces the stress per mitochondria and muscle fibre now this is obviously crucial effectively because if you're carrying first of all cycling being a very uh, power to weight ratio sensitive sport if you are carrying any mass particularly useful mass in the sense of um, favourable muscles like quads, um, calves, glutes and there are fibres in there not being utilised to output a given amount of power then being able to recruit all of these is obviously critical Um as exercise extends beyond approximately the 2 hour mark the problem becomes one of fuel availability, uh, the glycogen content in skeletal muscle becomes depleted and the modest ability of active muscles to take up glucose from the blood by either the liver or from feeding can limit the rate of oxidative ATP generation and thus the pace that can be sustained during that bout of exercise. In some, but not All subjects, the associated reduction in blood glucose evokes a frank symptoms of hypoglycemia that limit the ability of individuals to continue exercising, dizziness, inability to contract muscle really. Anyone who's done any form of endurance exercise will be familiar with hitting the wall or bonking or whatever uh, terminology you're used to. Um, Other highly trained subjects show remarkable resistance to hypoglycemia and for these athletes, muscle glycogen depletion is probably more important. In response to these events, a number of pre-competition dietary strategies and during exercise energy replacement regimes and products have been developed. When these are used in an optimal manner, muscle glycogen stores can be augmented by 40% before exercise and hypoglycemia can be avoided with the net effect of being that the duration of exercise at about the lactate threshold can be extended by approximately one third, so from two to three to four hours. So obviously, you've got two uh, modalities there. You've got carb loading, which is often something between nine to 12 grams of carbohydrate uh, per kilogram, and that is grams of carbohydrate. So for example, say you're taking pasta, that isn't. Uh, 9 to 12 grams of pasta that is then if 85% of that pasta is carbohydrate is the raw carbohydrate value uh, and then the replenishment during exercise is things simply like gels and uh, carbohydrates in the bottles which also again is part of their training ensuring that they can consume such high amounts of food and nutrition during pre and post race. At this point it's worth going back a step to the point before lactate threshold and talking about zone 2 in the elite cyclist incredible fat oxidative capacity. Um, a high fat oxidative capacity is a crucial physiological trait for elite cyclists and endurance athletes in general. Uh, due to its direct impact on their performance during prolonged and demanding aerobic activities like long distance races. Which really, any road racing is considered to long distance really. Um, this concept is closely related to the body's ability to efficiently utilise fat as a source of energy during exercise. Especially at a lower to moderate intensities um Here's why a high fat oxidation capacity is so important for elite cyclists. So, Energy efficiency. Fat is a dense energy source providing more energy per gram than carbohydrates. This becomes especially relevant during extended endurance activities where the body's carbohydrate stores, glycogen, can become uh, depleted. At a high fat oxidative capacity allows athletes to rely more on fat metabolism, sparing precious glucose stores, and delaying the onset of fatigue, especially for those short bouts of high, ultra-high intensity, where selections may be made, getting into the breakaway or um, the a mountaintop finish, for example. Um, as stated already, the extended endurance capabilities at least cyclists often participate in races that last several hours, um, even days in some cases, such as the Vuelta. Um, the ability of efficiently burn fats helps sustain energy levels over these extended periods and over multiple days and allows them to stay in these, re- re- these races. The reduced reliance on carbohydrates, um, although they are a quick and efficient energy source, the body's capacity to store them is incredibly limited in comparison to a lipid. Uh, once glycogen stores are depleted, athletes can experience a sudden drop in energy levels known as hitting the wall or bunking in cycling. Um, a high fat oxidative capacity delays this carbohydrate depletion, allowing cyclists to perform at a higher level for a longer uh, duration. Now, from that, it's now there are also, sorry, adaptions, to training where elite psychos officers engage in high volume training to build endurance this type of training can promote the body's adaption to utilise fat as a primary energy source enhancing the fat oxidative capacity now this adaption improves the efficiency of energy utilisation during races and this is why the lower intensity stuff is so critical because high intensity work is primarily there to improve glucose use and uptake and whereas this low level intensity stuff is where you they enable themselves to perform over these extremely long multi-day races and single day events because six even six hour races there isn't the ability to rely solely on glucose for this part of what makes all of this uh, possible is the high capillary density that athletes possess the rate of total ATP turnover during endurance performance reflects the interplay of aerobic and aer- anaerobic metabolisms with lactate generation serving to maintain NAD+ needed for continued glycolysis and generation of pyruvate essentially fueling that effort. Uh, an example of this interplay is the influence of high skeletal muscle capillary density serving to remove or recycle within muscle uh, fatiguing metabolites, for example, hydrogen ions. In general, elite athletes possess an unusually high muscle capillary density which may have allowed their uh, exercise muscles to better tolerate anaerobic metabolism and lactate, uh, lactic acid production or lactate, l- lactate production um but much remains in general to be learned about subtle factors that delay ex- uh, or accelerate fatigue during events performed at intensities above 80 to 90% of VO2 max small increases in total energy expenditure or reductions in oxygen delivery will have uh, disproportionate effects and accelerate fatigue during extremely high intensity exercise and this um at this time it remains bit unclear if laboratory tests can detect subtle adaptions in the very best uh, performers who seem to be able to manage their metabolism in a way that permits maximum um, efficient energy utilisation through this capillary network and mitochondria and so on and so forth. Uh, Moving on to the next pillar of all of this is efficiency. So gross mechanical efficiency when endurance-trained cyclists generate 300 watts can vary from about 18.5 to 23.5% and it appears that uh, more than one-half of this variability is related to the percentage of type 1 or slow twitch muscle fibres. The efficiency with which the chemical energy of ATP um, is converted to physical work depends greatly on the velocity of the sarcomere and the muscle fibre shortening. So type 1 slow switch type 1 fibres display greater mechanical efficiency uh, when cycling at cadences of approximately 60 to 120 rpm. Uh, Therefore it's not really a surprise that elite endurance cyclists typically possess a higher percentage of type 1 muscle fibres given that they are more efficient at performing this task than really anyone else in the world. Although type 1 muscle fibres un- in untrained humans possess higher mitochondrial density compared with type 2 fibres, uh, which are your fast-twitch fibres, it is important to note that with intense interval training, mitochondrial activity can be increased to equally high levels in both fibre types. Thus, with intense endurance training over years, the main functional advantage of type 1 fibers appears to be the efficiency when cycling rather than the total oxidative capacity of the given fibers, although type 1 fibers seem to retain a greater ability to oxidize fat. Um, it is also of note that many elite cyclists choose to pedal cadences of around 90 rpm this is a cadence that may actually increase whole body oxygen consumption slightly for a given total body power output from the minimum which is usually occurs at about 50 to 60 rpm but this is likely to do with an element of one muscle sparing of just and also an element of force production obviously to get the same power output at a lower cadence the axial force generation at the muscle it's going to have to be greater and as we start getting higher and higher and obviously these individuals get smaller and smaller in reality a higher cadence is likely needed to sustain the same power output for a lower like torque at the pedal. And for the final piece of all this, VO2 max. VO2 max or maximum oxygen consumption is a measure of an individual's capacity to take in transport and utilize oxygen during intense exercise. It's often considered one of the most important indicators of an athlete's cardiovascular fitness and aerobic endurance. So VO2 max is usually expressed in milliliters of oxygen per kilogram of body weight per minute, so mil per gig per min, which allows for comparison across different individuals regardless of their body size. You will So you will know that as um, relative VO2 max and absolute would be litres per minute which obviously there, there is no weight or sorry, mass component so two people of the same relative VO2 max one of them, if heavier, will have a greater uh, absolute value versus the lighter individual so in the context of endurance sports like cycling and running, a high VO2 max is generally associated with better performance. Athletes with higher VO2 max values have a greater ability to deliver oxygen to their muscles, which is essential for energy production during prolonged aerobic activities. Um, now, it's not the be-all and end-all in the sense that if someone's got a VO2 max of 81 and someone else has an 80, one of 84... That isn't going to mean that the one with 84 always wins. But if you've got a VO2 max of 40, you're not going to be on the grand tour. Um, So for elite endurance athletes, having a high VO2 max is a critical factor. It reflects their body's ability to transport and utilise oxygen efficiently, allowing them to sustain higher workloads and exercise intensities for longer durations. An athlete's VO2 max is influenced by um, genetic factors, training adaptions, um, and specific physiological characteristics. Uh, A VO2 max of 80 ml per kg per min, um, as mentioned, is considered world class for both cycling and running. Uh, This level indicates exceptional cardiovascular fitness and is often found in elite athletes who specialize in endurance events. Such as um, such high values suggest that these athletes can deliver a substantial amount of oxygen to their muscles, allowing them to perform at high intensities. Now, these really these values are reserved pretty much to um, cyclists, runners, triathletes, um, and maybe rowers. You won't really find VO two maxes of this magnitude in even team sports such as football, where obviously fitness is an cardiovascular capacity is important but it is not the sole determining factor to some extent it's not what you're really selecting for Um, while having a high VO2 max is obviously as already mentioned critical it's not the only factor that determines performance in events like um, in any real cycling events that are over let's even just say 5 minutes um where, you know, in things like the Vuelta and the Tour and the Giro, stages can last for several hours and they happen day after day. Another critical aspect is the percentage of an athlete's VO2 max that can be sustained over prolonged periods of time. This is often referred to as their submaximal or steady state endurance capacity. Now, sustaining a high percentage of VO2 max for extended periods is essential for endurance events because it reflects the athlete's ability to to maintain a high work rate while not exhausting their energy reserves too quickly. And it's about finding a balance between intensity and sustainability that is required here. So, elite endurance athletes train to improve their submaximal endurance capacity as this is what allows them to perform consistently during long events. This brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, for more content like this, explore previous episodes and consider following, rating and sharing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, share your thoughts and suggest future topics at thevo 2 gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in and until next time, it's goodbye.